Good morning. Good to see you this morning. I'm glad so many are here with us worshiping together. I appreciate the effort everyone uh, put into the singing. It's always very encouraging and preparing for the Lord's Supper. Um, we're going to be studying together the passage that Micah just read. I hope that you'll follow along with us as we study that and let us know if, uh, let me know if. Uh, anything that I say as I'm studying through this text with you uh, seems like it's not in line with what the Scriptures teach. I'm just trying to present to you a lesson from God's Word that it might have its effect on you, that you might feed off of the Word as I'm trying to feed off of it myself. So any help you can give me will be much appreciated. Have you ever had salt that doesn't taste right? You ever been eating your meal and thought, man, that needs some salt? And you add a little salt and then you take a bite, man, that salt just doesn't taste right. So then you go to the, the cabinet and you pull out the salt and sure enough, it's expired. You need to throw it away and go buy some new salt. Anybody ever had that happen to them? No? No? <laughs> no, never had that happen before. Uh, look at what he says in verse 34. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Salt has lost its saltiness. How in the world can salt lose its saltiness? This doesn't make any sense, does it? What does Jesus mean whenever He says that? That's what we're going to try to figure out as we study together uh, this morning. We have to go back in order to figure that out to where Micah started the reading in verse 25. It tells us that Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem and as He's going, huge crowds are accompanying Him. They're following Him. And the text tells us that he turns to those huge crowds and he tells them, Anyone who comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, cannot be my disciple. Wow. Hate your family. Hate yourself. And then you can be my disciple. If you don't do that, you cannot be my disciple. Is that what we would say if we had a huge crowd of people following us? Or a huge crowd of people wanting to come in here and and get in this building to worship with us? Would we say you can't come in here unless you hate your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and even yourself? You can't even come in here. We don't want anything to do with you. That's not what we would say. We'd be like, please come in. Thank you. Please stay. You know, we're, we're wanting you to come. We're wanting you to hear and understand. And, and maybe eventually they'll, they'll get to the point where they're willing to, to just be a member here and, and take part in the services. What does Jesus mean in saying that? Why is He saying what He says? Something that's as shocking as, if you don't hate your family and yourself, you cannot be My disciple. Why does He say that? He gives us two parables to help us understand that. In the first parable, there's a man who needs a tower. And he decides it's time for me to build this tower. So he sees his stuff laying over there. He starts putting it together, laying that foundation. And he gets to the point where he realizes... I don't have enough to finish. And so there there it sits, this partially finished tower. 
uh, and everybody's going to mock him and make fun of him because he didn't sit down first and think about whether or not he had enough to build this tower. He just wasted all this time and effort and energy trying to build a tower that will, will not be built and that is going to provide him with no benefit. And the second parable is like it. In the second parable, you have a king who is going out with his army to encounter another king in battle. And he gets there, and he's got 10,000 guys with him, and he sees they've got 20,000 guys with him. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. This ain't good. What am I going to do now? No. A king would need to sit down and deliberate whether or not he can go out and fight against 20,000 men whenever he's only got 10,000. And then if he can't, he's going to send out some peace treaty in order to make things right. You're not going to get yourself in that much danger in that kind of situation. It doesn't make sense. And this is Jesus' point. He wants us to think about what it really means to be a disciple and count those costs before we agree to being His disciple. Have you ever been in over your head on anything? About two or three months before Naomi was born, we bought a new house. But it wasn't new. It was old. And the kitchen was awful. I mean, it was yellow and brown and pegboard. It was just ugly to look at. It worked, but it was just ugly. And I thought, oh, i got plenty of time. So here I go destroying. Man, that was easy. Three days, the kitchen's gutted. Everything's going to be great. No problem. Put in my order for the cabinets. And those take about two months and about three weeks. So almost there before the cabinets get done. I get a fridge in, and the only thing in the room for like two and a half months is a fridge. And then the cabinets come in, so then we've got cabinets, but we don't have countertops. Well, guess what? Countertops take about a week and a half, and I didn't think about that ahead of time. And so we didn't have countertops. We didn't have a... a, Well, we had a stove, but we had to hook that up. We came into the house with a newborn baby with plywood countertops, no sink, no nothing. A refrigerator, at least. And we had a microwave in our dining room where we could heat stuff up. That's what we had. And I felt very foolish. I didn't consider all that would be required for me to be prepared for our daughter to come in and all the hecticness that would happen right after that. I wasn't ready for that. I didn't consider how long everything would take. And Jesus doesn't want us to be in that position where we've decided we're going to be a disciple of Jesus. And we enter into this not knowing what it will take to get through to the end. He wants us to instead count the costs. Because He doesn't want us to get in that situation where we abandon Him. He wants us instead to abandon everything in order to follow after Him. He wants us to have that kind of devotion and commitment to Him. He says in verse 33, Anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. 
Who's going to do that? Who's going to give up everything? Who's going to be disowned by their parents and who's going to disown even their own children in order to be a disciple of Christ? Who's going to give up all their possessions in order to be a disciple of Christ? Who would do that? The salt of the earth would do that. This is what makes them salt. This is what Jesus is saying whenever He says salt must have its taste. A disciple of Christ must have that kind of devotion in order to be His disciple. But what does this mean? Are we really supposed to hate our family? Is Jesus really promoting us to act hatefully toward our parents and toward our spouses? and toward those who are our family. Well, of course we want to love our family, don't we? And we have responsibilities toward our family. But whenever Jesus says we must hate our family, He's giving us a comparison to think about. Compared to how much we love Jesus, we should see our family as people we hate. That's how much greater our love is for Jesus. It's greater than our our family, our parents. It's greater than our brother. It's greater than our spouse. It's greater than our children. It's greater than anything. This tells us that Jesus wants us to be completely and utterly devoted to Him. Or else we cannot be His disciple. There will be no compromises to Jesus. We can't compromise our faithfulness to Jesus whenever our family says, Hey, you guys guys come on over on Sunday and and spend time with us. And and we're going to go out and do this and that. And we've got church service. We can't do that. There's no compromises when a spouse tries to tempt us to rebel against God. And and we think, well, this might make my family life easier and make me more happy if I just give in to this compromise and, and allow for this to take place. There's no compromise when our own children rebel against God. We can't make a way for them to be okay and turn our backs on what Jesus actually said. Jesus wants us to realize this before we enter into it. That He must come before those we love the most in this life. We have to love Him more. And this means we may have to disappoint our family and those who we love very much and those who we have responsibilities toward. And, and we might look at this and think, well, Jesus is telling me to be a bad husband or a bad spouse a bad uh, son or daughter or parent. or No, He's not talking about those relationships. He's talking about discipleship. Discipleship must come before everything. And He even says that includes ourself. He says we must hate Ourselves. What does that mean? Are we really supposed to be depressed and be like, oh, I'm, I'm the worst person in the world. I can't stand myself. 
What does he mean by that? Well, don't we all really want to love ourselves? Don't we all really want to indulge in what we want? In the pleasures that make us happy? Doesn't that, isn't that what we're shooting for? To be happy and to enjoy what this life has to offer? What Jesus is telling us to do goes against our, fresh, our fleshly desires. It creates in us an internal struggle with who we are. Because we want to deceive ourselves in order to get our own way. We want to give in to sin and the things of this world because we think those things are going to make us happy and we have to refuse ourselves in order to love Jesus more than ourselves. This is the description of what Jesus calls His disciples, those who are the salt of the earth. We must give up our idols, even if our idols include our family or ourselves. And we must only and primarily, above everything else, worship God and follow after His will and do what He wants us to do. That's the picture that Jesus gives to this huge crowd that's around Him of who can be His disciple, who can follow after Him. Well, what about us? Have we counted the cost of discipleship? Think back to uh, whenever you came to Jesus, if you're here and you've already come to Jesus and you've already uh, experienced the grace and, and decided to follow after Him. What was it that prompted you to come after Jesus to begin with? It seemed like an easy thing. It seemed like something that I could just make some slight alterations in my life, right? I could just make a few changes here and there, and what the preacher's offering sounds like a pretty good deal. If I do what he says, I get heaven. That sounds pretty good. All right, I'll do that. I'll come forward. I'll be dunked in water. I might show up every now and then to, to Bible classes. I might show up every time. Hey, it's heaven. That's great. Why did we come to Jesus to begin with? Did it sound like a sweet deal? Did it sound like something fun, something enjoyable, something that would be easy? Well, now Jesus has described to us what being a disciple is really all about. Is it all that we dreamed it would be? We have this kind of uh, you know, childish dream that we would be Christians and that we would be joined to other Christians, that we would enjoy each other's company and we would have fun together and we built each other up and everything would go great in our lives and all our family would be faithful and everybody would be glorifying God together and everything would be going great. Well, Jesus wants us to face the reality. The reality is we might have to lose the things that we treasure. The relationship that we hold dear with our families might have to go through hard times in order for me to be faithful to Jesus and to glorify Him and follow after Him. I might have to give up the happiness that I so much enjoy in this life in order to be truly faithful to Jesus. I'd like to think about why Jesus is preaching this. 
think about that for a minute. Jesus is preaching this to the huge multitude that is now following after Him. And He doesn't doesn't care that they're not really going to be happy about this message. There's those out there who uh, are thinking, well, why why are you preaching like this? Why are you teaching like this? We don't like this. But Jesus is teaching that way anyway. Isn't it interesting that we have this desire to make things easier for people? Like, yeah, come on in. Make, make yourself at home and, and, and everything's going to be okay and everything's going to be easy to come into Christ. We're going we're to pave the way for you and make it nice and easy. But the hard reality is it may not be as easy as we make it out to be. When we invite people to, to become a disciple of Jesus... We might be inviting them to something that's not real. The reality is, Jesus is inviting people to give their lives to Him and give up everything else. That's not very attractive to people who are carnally, fleshly minded. But that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Well, how can we make this choice? I mean, you, I imagine that there's a number of reactions in the crowd, right? There's a number of people who hear this and then they leave and they're gone. And they don't want anything to do with what Jesus just said. But I don't imagine Jesus is upset about, about that. I don't imagine He's sweating those who are leaving because of what He says. Salt has lost its taste, it's of no use. Those who were coming to Jesus for their own benefit, thinking that it would be easy and that it would make them happy, are really just ground up rocks. They're not really salt. They have no benefit to to salt the earth, to provide flavor, to preserve. They have no real benefit anyway. They're just here for their own needs and their own satisfactions. And so they leave. But then I imagine there are some who stay. And they stay because they are, they are and they have been the salt of the earth. They have been devoted. They have given up everything to follow after Jesus because they know that it's worth it. And then I imagine there are some who were ground up rocks that heard this and made the decision, I want to be salt. So they stayed. How can we make that choice? Even if we're salt, what's going to motivate us to be salt to the end and not lose our taste? How are we going to make the choice to love Jesus more than our family or more than ourselves? Sorry, I forgot that slide. There's two things that Jesus tells us in this text. Number one, we have to realize who His disciples will be. Jesus repeats three times in this text, you cannot be My disciple. If you don't hate your father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, you cannot be My disciple. If you don't renounce everything you have, you cannot be My disciple. We have to get this glaring clarity in our mind that in order to be a disciple of Christ... We have to be fully devoted. If we're anything else, we're not a disciple. There's a finality to this statement. 
You cannot be my disciple. We can be members of this local church. Imagine there there are some here who study the Word, who come to church, and, and they're to some level of devotion to God, but not disciples in this way. Not fully devoted in the way that they love Him more than anything else. And even they are ground up rock and not salt. If we're this way, if we are not fully devoted in this way, we're wasting our time. We're wasting our time. We might as well be going out there enjoying ourselves and having fun sinning and doing whatever we want to do. Jesus says this is the choice. Either you're all mine or you're not mine. That's the choice we have to make. We can't just act as though we're His and hold something back. He's not going to be okay with that. He makes it very clear in this text. Well, that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? But Jesus tells us that's the way it is. And He gives us even more motivation in this text. As we look at this, we can find hope because of who Jesus is. Look at verse 27. He says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I'd like to point out that Jesus is not a hypocrite. When Jesus tells people, you must be this devoted to me, it's not because he's going to sit on his ivory tower and take advantage of our devotion to him and act as though... He is the one who deserves everything and is uh, supreme over everything. No. Jesus has taken up His own cross. Jesus is asking us to do what He has already done. He's already started the process of doing. Jesus has abandoned everything to serve and be devoted to us. He gave up His family. He gave up opportunities for a happy life with a wife and children. He gave up heaven. He gave up all the pleasures that you could possibly imagine to take up a cross and to, and to walk and live in a way that shows that He is dead to Himself dead to His family, and alive and wholly focused on serving and worshiping God. This is how He wants us to be. He wants us to be dead to ourselves and alive to Him. Fully devoted to serving Him to the point where we're willing to go against our own families willing to go against our own desires and and say no to ourselves and, and stop deceiving ourselves and putting sin to death in our lives because of that devotion and that love that we have for Him. We put ourselves to death. And the text that was on the screen just a moment ago, Colossians 3, verse 3, describes it so well. He says, For you have died... 
And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Those of us who take up a cross, I want you to imagine Jesus and and anybody else. You, You see somebody walking through town and they've got a cross in the first century. What do you think about them? That's a dead man. That's a dead man walking. There's no other end than death. He's dead, he's walking. That was Jesus on His way to Jerusalem. He's a dead man walking. Everything about His ministry was about what He was doing to serve us. And He was fully devoted. But that's supposed to be us as well. We're dead men, we're dead women walking in this life to the hope of eternity that Jesus has found after He suffered and endured. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to be the salt of the earth. And the only way we get our saltiness is by being fully devoted to serving and following after Jesus and doing the will of God at the expense of all else. Will you be His disciple? Will you love Jesus more than anything? It's up to you. I can't make that decision for you. That's a lot to ask. But Jesus makes the point that it's very worth it. There may be wannabe disciples in the audience. We all may have been wannabe disciples at some point or another. Thinking that I can go to church and and the church will serve my needs. The church will help fix my family problems. The church will help solve my own issues in my own life and make my life better. It will raise my children and discipline them and fix everything with them. And, and the church is just going to be this great country club that I'll be a part of and everything will be great. But we're not really devoted to serving and following after God with all our hearts, souls, mind, and strength. We're want to be disciples. And Jesus says, if we're like that, we cannot be His disciples. So what are we? Are we want to be disciples? Or will we commit our lives to following Jesus and take up our own cross? This is a hard sermon. This is a lot to ask of everyone. But Jesus asks it. Jesus says, I want you to be the salt of the earth. And here is how you can become that. Will you do that? Will you put off your sin and and put on God? Will you love Him and adore Him more than anything else that there is? Will you submit to Him and serve Him faithfully all your life, no matter what comes? The option is up to you. Please make the right decision before it's eternally too late. Please come.